In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we are told in the Gospel of Saint Matthew a, a deep contrast with last Sunday's Gospel. Because last Sunday's Gospel we heard about how Jesus praised Peter. He said that on this rock I will build my church. And now he goes from praising him as a rock, something solid, something you can rely on, something you can be confident, to saying that you are Satan, that you are an obstacle, not a rock, but an obstacle. And all this we know happened because the Lord was on his way with his disciples on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem and he began to tell them clearly with no symbolism, with no imagery simply. He was telling them very clearly that he had to go to Jerusalem to suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed on the third day, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord. God forbid, no such thing shall happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking like man, you're not thinking like God. So how does this happen that he goes from praising Peter because he acclaimed him as the Messiah, as the son of the living God, to, to really denouncing him as Satan? At first, or the last week, we saw that what he said was true to be the Messiah. Because for the, for the Jews, the Messiah had a very powerful political resonance. It meant that he would be the king of Israel, that he would reign over the people of God, and that not only would he reign over the people of God, but presumably he could conquer other peoples, neighboring peoples, triumphantly. After all, the Jews had been so humiliated in the past centuries, they had been exiled, their culture and their religion had, be literally, had been literally torn from them. Many of their people had been murdered and tortured. They had been derided and abused by foreign powers. There had been the Assyrians, there had been the Samarians, there had been the Babylonians the Persians, the Greeks, now the Romans. Everybody was stepping on the Jews. And for Peter to call him the Messiah meant that that was all over now. He was going to reign. Finally, 
they would be able to be masters in their own house. But that kind of triumphalism, which at the same time, it seems wonderful, it seems great, that they'd be able to be masters in their house, that they'd be able to, be, to have a, a decent living. It seems great. But it wasn't the triumphalism that Jesus had in mind. And uh, the apostles did not understand this yet, nor did St. Peter. The Son of God would have to liberate them, but first he would have to go up to the cross. He must suffer. He must go and suffer. Of course, the Lord says it in a way that suggests that it was necessary, that there was no escape. And uh, the tone of there's no escape, there's no choice, you ha I have to suffer, made Peter say, no, no, God forbid, I don't want you to suffer. That was in some ways a good thing. He didn't want his friend to suffer. He thinks it can be avoided. He has an idea, maybe, maybe how it can be avoided. Maybe we can sneak in Jerusalem and then take uh, all of Jerusalem by force. And then you could become the triumphant Messiah. I have an idea. I have an escape plan from this suffering that you're talking about. He doesn't see it as a necessary plan. He just sees it, well, as a possibility. Yes, it could happen if we're not careful. And he sees, of course, the, the idea of immediate pain or suffering uh, as, as something absolutely to, to be avoided. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't see the bigger picture. He's not able, at least not at this time. And the fact that our Lord says, get behind me, Satan, that you're seeing things too humanly, must have made him stop, must have made him think, whoa, okay, uh, if me trying to avoid Jesus becoming a triumphant political messiah is an obstacle to his vision of the messiah, I must be thinking wrongly here. I must really have my understanding completely off. There must be a reason for that pain, that death. And uh, I would say that probably Peter began to be more quiet now, began to be more reflective. He began to understand, I don't want to be an obstacle, I don't want to be a Satan. That's what Satan is, it's an obstacle to God, an obstacle to God's plans. I don't want to think as human beings think. I, I want to think as God thinks. And then the Lord said, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for a man who gained the whole world and forfeit his life? Here it says forfeit his life, but the other translation says forfeit his soul his very being. Imagine gaining everything, gaining prestige, gaining all the things you like, but you forfeit, you lose ultimately the most important, your soul. And we see that with many people, they, they really desire something for themselves, some, it could be success, it could be riches, it could be recognition, it could be all kinds of things that they really desire deeply. But 
perhaps they don't always understand that this compromises their soul. Sometimes they do understand that it compromises their soul. The Lord says, get behind me, Satan. Don't think too humanly. There's a reason for any pain, any death. And that is a salvific purpose. This is what the Lord underlined. His pain, his suffering will have salvific meaning. That is, it will save his soul. Well, his soul. It will save the soul of the whole nation, of all people. When we say salvation, we mean God's plan for us, God's loving plan leading us to Him. That's what salvation really is. Salvation is really God's loving plan of leading Him back to us. Excuse me. What is salvation? Salvation is God's loving plan of leading us back to Him. It's the great the greatest good imaginable, salvation. And in some way, it begins, it begins here, and it will come to fruition in the next life. Salvation begins here. We, are, we begin to be truly happy here, and it'll come to fruition ultimately in heaven when we see God face to face. And naturally, we can never discount it we can never think that it'll never happen. We can never be hopeless of this reality for us or for others. We can never think that somebody will never be saved or, or never reach salvation. Or nor can we be absolutely certain that we're for sure assured of it. That's why we have to embrace now in our prayer or think or reflect now the truly redemptive nature of the cross and how how it fits into my life. Let's meditate on this now and ask the Lord for light. How can I integrate this into my daily life? The redemptive meaning of the cross. How can I redemptive how can I integrate? How can I integrate the redemptive meaning of the cross in my personality, in my way of interacting with others, in my way of praying? <clears throat> Imagine if we believed that salvation, that the definitive resolution of our life, the meaning of our life, imagine if we believed that it was not possible at all. There's just no way. I'm stuck. I've, it's in my DNA and I will never be saved. Oh, well, naturally we would never try. We would give up. We would be, I suppose we, we would be completely frustrated we would get depressed and we would certainly not advance. This happens when we get frustrated about anything that goes wrong in our life. Uh, it happens to computer programmers, it happens to any work that doesn't, just doesn't turn out, it's not working. It's, or with a person, some, sometimes we have a certain kind of person that we just find very difficult to deal with and we think, well, she's not going to, her character is not going to change. She's always going to be like that. There's no way she's ever going to change. So pff, I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up. And that giving up, is that an expression of joy or is it an expression of, of sadness? If I say, this person is always going to be like that, 
She's always going to have that tone of voice. She's always going to be... And I give up because I, out of frustration. I can't do anything. I can't do anything here. But if we leaned into that frustration, if we accepted it and accepted her way of being and uh, not simply overly tried and tried and tried again, but accepted this reality, embraced it, wouldn't it suddenly make us stronger? Wouldn't we suddenly find the, the wherewithal, you could say the, the, the resilience that we need in front of this challenge? Naturally, in our daily life, we have to be able to explain the cross. We have to explain the deep meaning of the cross in our lives, in the lives of others, of anybody who comes here. We have to certainly be able to explain it. Maybe some of you, when you show the black cross, maybe you just say, well, we, we just kiss that thing when we go out as aspiration. That's it. That's all we do. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but why would you do that? Why would you kiss the black cross there? What's the purpose? We have to not just stay at the surface of the physical thing that you do, kiss the cross. And there's a little sign there that was written many years ago, Pius the Twelve, blah, 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 indulgences. Maybe we just stay at the surface. We have to be able to explain, tap into the deeper meaning of suffering. And that's a symbol of that. And maybe, who knows, maybe we're just kissing that cross, we just think because well, we're supposed to do it. We are very weak if we are not able to explain the cross convincingly. In some ways you could say we are like Satan. We're like Satan. We're an obstacle. The real reality of the cross is that it, it is redemptive. We know that. And Christ gave his life for us out of love for us. We know that. It, it, is, it is an expression of his love, God's love. We know that. Like, in a generic sense, we know that. But ultimately for us, you could say that the reality of the cross, the reality of suffering in our life, also points to the reality of challenge in our life, the reality of frustration in our life. Any challenge is something hard that we have to face. Any challenge is something hard. If we think of that challenge as something good, even if we think of frustration as a good thing, well, we know immediately that it will be an opportunity to grow. It won't be an obstacle. It won't be an obstacle to God. As we look at this past year, and, and, and well, certainly the year coming now, we're at the beginning of the academic year, we're about to head towards Labor Day, we're not there yet, but we're almost there. Maybe we're looking at it with a certain amount of uncertainty, and we think, well, uncertainty is not good. How long am I going to have to wear this mask? And how long are we, are we going to be streaming these meditations? And we don't know how long this is going to last. Is there going to be a second wave of a coronavirus? Uh, if we are often focusing on the 
uncertainty of our life here, in your case here in Lincroft, and the uncertainty of how it's going to be with the help you're going to get, and or maybe the uncertainty maybe of sickness or what have you. If there's a dominant sense of uncertainty right now, that's not good. That means we are passively viewing our challenges. If we're, if we're just seeing the uncertainty, it means that we want to forecast all the challenges. We want to have everything perfectly arranged and in order. We want to know what's coming. It's good that it's uncertain. It's okay. That's good. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go in there like teetering. That's okay. But if we want, no, 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 I don't want to be uncertain. I want to know exactly what's happening. I want to know exactly what the menu is. I want to know exactly, exactly how it's going to be. Well, that would suggest that if all we want is that perfect certainty about the next year or the next months, that it would suggest that we had alienated ourselves from the ability to face challenge. And there will be challenges. But we might be afraid that it, all, it might all be too much for us. We might suddenly crumple and pass out. We'll walk out of, of Lindcroft and just pass out. It's too much for me. We'll walk into the kitchen and poof, pass out. Because I, I can't take it anymore. So the focus on getting rid of uncertainty, which we may want to do, Certainly that's what Peter felt when Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer. Son of man has to suffer. He didn't want that. He wanted a kind of triumphalism, something certain. If we focus on getting rid of uncertainty, that would be a fragile practice. It's what happens to certain people who get very obsessed about certain practices at work. It has to be like this, it has to be like that. If there are challenges in this COVID year, in the apostolate, in the work that we have to do, we'll just face them, it's okay. If they come from the outside, whatever those temptations or, or, or challenges are, we may, be faced, we, may be, we may be tempted to be overwhelmed by them. We maybe think, think of all the things that have to be done, the extra work, there's no help, there's restrictions. All that stuff is coming out from outside. But the real challenge is how we handle all this. It'll be from within. Peter was saying, God forbid that I have to deal with this. God forbid. God forbid, no, good. God says, this is the challenge. You're going to go to Jerusalem. It's going to be tough. But he invites you to embrace it. Why? Because it's salvific. 
Any challenge will be salvific in the sense that it'll make us grow, it'll make us come closer to God insofar as we embrace it. That is ultimately uh, the key. So we shouldn't think too, too much about how maybe uh, how tough things are. But maybe that the Lord wants us all here to grow in resilience and how consistently we want to keep that attitude of uh, challenging ourselves. That will be the strength that he's asking. I know there's a lot to be done here, but uh, if we don't have this particular challenge that we have now, well, if we didn't have COVID, maybe we would become a little bit more mediocre. We can't become fragile. We have to become anti-fragile. Sometimes you can, when you order, when you order something from Amazon, they send a, a they send it with a sticker, and the sticker says fragile. And it's got a, a wine glass that has been broken in like three places, like here, here, and here, right? Like in the stem, in the bottom part, and in the actual glass. Right? And then around it says fragile, do not drop or hold straight up. As though, as though something in the box, if you turned it upside down, everything would fall out or something like that, right? within the box, even though it's a closed box. Or it says, don't stack. You know, because the box is too weak to hold. So, so they, they do everything they can so as to make sure that when you take that box, you're very, 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 very careful. But they say that uh, those stickers, they don't make a difference. I mean, you go to Amazon, they throw this, it's fragile. They don't have time to think about it. They just throw the box. And if you go on YouTube, you'll see uh, boxes that have arrived at people that say fragile, and the box is all crumpled and all broken and right, all, all dented. And even though it's marked fragile. So they say, don't mark your things fragile. It's not going to help. It's not going to protect your contents. What's going to protect it is how you pack it, they say. How, it's not how they are labeled, but how you pack it in whatever, you know, bubble wrap or whatever, maybe. Well, our packaging must be anti-fragile. We have no sticker that says that we are fragile. We are packed anti-fragile. It means that, for us, it means that we have ultimately embraced the cross. What does it mean to be anti-fragile? It means that we can face stress. It means that we can face hard things. It means that we can fa face difficult people, annoying people, limitations. We're anti-fragile. We don't say, oh, she's like this. Oh, I can't take it. I can't take it. I can't take it. Just be anti-fragile. In those moments when we have a difficult thing to get through, we just have to double down on 
best practices, on a good schedule, on the norms of piety, on our prayer, on the normal daily things. Our Father wanted us, wanted the hardships, difficulties to make us bigger, not smaller, not weaker. When you think of the life of St. Josemaria, often some of the most dominant uh, aspects of the life are when things were very, very, very hard, like the Civil War. There's whole books written about how he went through the Civil War, and that was not an easy time. And they are never written in the form of lament. Oh, poor, these poor guys, they went through this, and this happened, and oh, this was terrible. And um, it, yes, it was very hard. The, the militia were trained to shoot without asking. You know, they're just on sight. As soon as they saw something, bang, they, they had to shoot, which, of course, provoked a lot of tension in the escapees. And, uh, and there's stories about how he celebrated Mass in the forest and uh, all the other stories we know about in the legation of Honduras. But we know those now because all those things made them bigger, made them anti-fragile. And then other things happened in the future. And we, we can ask our, our, ourselves and we can ask God now, well, Lord, you're going, we're going to Jerusalem now this year and let us not think it's all going to be roses and lovely, but it's a good thing that we want to embrace, embrace. Otherwise, I heard this from uh, Kevin Majors, uh, otherwise it would be like, imagine you were trained as a, as a dentist and all you did all day was spend your time polishing white teeth of beautiful people. Which, uh, when the other day I got a text message, a hygiene appointment from the dentist. You are due for your hygiene appointment. Look, I have other things to do other than getting the hygiene appointment. Maybe I should do it. Okay, yeah, I know what you mean. But, uh, but, uh, but if all you did all day is clean teeth that are already clean, uh, it would be kind of discouraging. But you probably know Father Chris, the other day he uh, was on his way to Kintour on the bike and whoosh, wiped out, smacked himself right on his face and lost at least a tooth and a half, right? Uh, I mean, like no tooth in the front tooth, so, and obviously swollen lip and stuff. And uh, the dentist was super happy. <laughs> this, this, the dentist had a challenge. And he said, don't worry about it. I'm going to clean this first and don't worry about it. It's okay. Okay, we're just checking through. No, uh, whatever, you know, problems. And then he went the next week. He looks perfect. He looks exactly like he did before. There's no difference. Right? And uh, he's, he's thinking, this dentist, how can I make an impact? How can I make a change? He rose to the occasion. And he must have felt very happy. I remember when I first went to see him, the dentist, he said, well, I always tell my, cl my clients, my patients, a little bit about myself. And well, I specialized in cranial reconstruction and in, uh, you know, whatever, 
people people's jaws who have been destroyed or something like that. And uh, you're there, oh my God, I hope that never happens to me, right? Uh, but for him it's a challenge. He likes to study how to put braces in people's broken jaws, right? And um, so every challenge that I will face, whether it's people, whether it's machinery that doesn't work, whether it's bad internet connections, whatever it is, will be really an opportunity for me to grow, to embrace the cross. And because it is necessary, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, must go, as a salvific purpose, just as any any difficult thing. Okay, today there'll be something that will maybe annoy you, that will maybe be difficult. How can I look at that now as an opportunity to embrace it, as we know, to, to reframe it as an opportunity to grow? Our Blessed Mother, who stood so valiantly at the cross, she will intercede for us so that all those occasions are challenges that'll make us grow deeper in interior life, stronger in our ability to, to confide in our Lord, to trust Him, and to grow in His salvific purpose. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you how to put them into effect my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.